In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our website. That's cx.endris.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And I'm sure you all got that. Don't worry about it. It's printed in the show notes, but please go to the show notes, find the website address and register for our monthly giveaway there. Okay. So on the show today, we're going to get right to it. I have the president and CEO of Milestone Environmental, Gabriel Rio. Gabriel, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Well, very shortly here, people are going to find out specifically why I wanted you to, to come on the show, because we're going to talk about how Milestone Environmental has a rather unique way of managing oil field waste and that sort of thing. But first of all, Gabriel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. Yeah. So I've been, I've spent my career in oil and gas and chemical engineer from UT back in the 90s and have spent my career either on the financial side first, the oil and gas industry, and then to spend the last you know, 15 to 20 years managing different energy waste streams through a couple of different companies. So I guess first started off with a company called U.S. Liquids of Louisiana, which had oil field waste management facilities in Louisiana and Texas, moving waste from the moving processing waste from the Gulf Coast and, and, and offshore drilling. And then we put that together with a couple other businesses and created a company called R360 Environmental Solutions, which we ended up selling to Waste Connections back in 2012. And then 2014 started Milestone. So have been in and around the oil and gas and, and managing energy waste streams for, for most of my career. Okay, so let's back up on a couple of things there. So right now I'm talking to you and you're in Houston, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in Houston, Texas. I've been living in Houston most of my life. So I'm born here and moved away a couple of times, but always come back. So Houston has a has a great way of pulling people back in. So you're a native Texan and you're a native Houstonian as well? Yes, sir. Born, born and raised. I'm a native Houstonian. You really, for people who don't know and, and folks listen to this and, and a lot of other countries. Houston is one of the most culturally diverse cities in the United States. And I'm telling you that compares to New York or, you know, any city on the West Coast or, or whatever. It's actually hard to find a native Houstonian. <laughs> well, the city's been growing so fast over the last couple of decades that, yeah, we're, we're definitely the minority here. But no, Houston's a great, a great town. It's really welcoming. We've got people from all over the world here. And I think, forget which mayor it was of Houston that said it, you know, Houston is a little bit less of a melting pot because it's so young. It's more like a chopped salad of a whole bunch of different people from all over the world bringing together, coming together in Houston and creates pretty unique culture. So I, I just love it here. And there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast. It'll be produced after OTC. So there'll be hopefully a lot of people listening to this who actually attended OTC and they'll know exactly what you're talking about there. They'll also know that it's hot in Houston in, in August. That's, yeah, you know, I, I keep saying that we need to start hosting OTC in February, where it's where the weather is miserable in every other part of the world. But uh, 
but beautiful in Houston. But but then again, it would probably if we did that, more people might move here, and the city would be growing even faster than it already is. Yeah, there you go. If you did it in February, we could do it in conjunction with the you know world famous Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. So well, I think that make it a lot more fun too. Yeah. Okay. So did you say, or were we talking off air? So not only are you a Texan, but you went to school here in Texas. So what are you, an Aggie or something? No, no, no. I'm a Longhorn. So I, oh I, my I, goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm a Longhorn. I do this all the time. Some people listen to this podcast just to see how not to be a good podcast host. You know, you're not <laughs> supposed to ask questions like that if you don't know the answer, because nothing could be more insulting than asking a Longhorn if he's an Aggie. And vice versa, by the way, I might add. You know, I, uh, I employ a couple of Aggies, but the rule around here is that, you know, we'll hire Aggies, but only if they also have a degree from somewhere else to kind of balance it out. So, <laughs> it's, uh, so what uh, What did you get your I, degree in? I had a degree in chemical engineering. Chemical engineering, okay. Yes, sir. So, and, and by the way, I just one quick plug. I cannot wait for the Longhorns to join the SEC so that we can start that Texas A&M game. So you can start that tradition again. Yep, yep. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been a long (laughs) drought in Texas football, and I'm ready ready to kick things back into higher gear. There you go. Okay, so let's talk about, well, let me ask you one other question. Well, let's talk about Milestone Environmental, but we'll get to the unique part about Milestone Environmental. But a couple of things. One is you started Milestone Environmental in 2014. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We founded the business in partnership with an oilfield service-focused private equity firm back in October 2014. How did you get a private? I mean, that's when everything crashed in 2014. Well, I got in just before the crash. So we closed our, I mean, I've been working with these guys for, since March of that year when everything was sort of blowing and going and there are 1,800 rigs running in the United States, and oil had been $100 for a good long time, and everybody felt like that was going to last a while. And then we ended up you know, buying our first set of assets and kind of founded the company in October of 2014. So with great plans for the future, and then you know, very, very quickly, as what has, has happens in the oil and gas industry, you know, very quickly OPEC decided to flood the market with crude, and then 2015 and 2016 happened. And so... Nothing like running a business through a downturn. And we kind of people say experience is what you get when you don't get what you expect. There you that's go. What <laughs> that's what happened in 2015 and 2016. So we got a lot of what we didn't expect. But the good thing is, you know, the company cut its teeth during 2015 and 16 and really, really came together as an organization during the downturn. And so it's a deep part of the culture here is that we understand how to. We understand how to navigate that stuff and, and come out better on the other side. And that sure helped us out a lot last year. And so now you have over 100 employees, right? Yeah, yeah. Between 125 and 150 employees. And, and I'd probably have a few more if we could hire people faster right now. But the you know, company's growing pretty nicely. Okay, with that many employees, and one of the focuses of this show has always been, and in fact, if you listen to the introduction to this show where that beautiful British voiceover comes on, we're in an industry that there are a lot of dangers that we're exposed to. People can get hurt in a heartbeat and not come home safe to their family for dinner that night. And that's definitely what we're dedicated to. So talk to us a little bit about Milestone's commitment to safety and your your safety program and that sort of thing. Oh, look, Milestone safety is absolutely job one. And we, we work really hard to develop program within the company to help make sure that our people are well trained 
and that they are always present, mentally present in their jobs to make sure that they are doing things the safest way possible. You know, my senior vice president in charge of operations has a deep safety background. Who was started his career as a safety professional before going into operations. His name is Kevin Mott. He and our director of safety, Randy Foster, have really done a great job of creating a program here that puts safety above profitability, puts safety above everything else. And as a result, you know, we've had a zero TRIR in our company now for several years. So I think out of the seven years we've been operating, we've had a zero, zero TRIR for four of them, and I'm hoping that 2021 will be the fifth. We've got a wonderful safety record that we're really proud of, and we're really proud that our people get home safe every day to their families because nothing's more important than that. And then not to say that it can't always be better, because we're always looking for new ways to improve, new ways to automate certain functions and to make the job safer and continue to train our employees and, and keep everybody safe. Well, that's great. So now let's talk about what these 125, 150 employees do. Let's let's talk about what's unique to Milestone Environmental, because I know you and I have talked about this off air, and you're actually quite passionate about it, right? Yeah, I am. I mean, look, we founded the business really to help oil and gas companies manage their waste better. And we started Milestone in 2014. Again, I've been in and around the oil field waste business for a long time. We really saw a need, particularly on land, United States, there just wasn't enough infrastructure to be able to manage oil and gas waste in a safe and environmentally responsible way. The the only reason a company like ours exists is to help EMP operators reduce their environmental footprint. We're a pure play sustainability company that serves the oil and gas industry, and that's all we do. So we take waste streams from drilling, completion, and production of oil and gas wells. And so that includes things like drill cuttings, spent drilling fluids, so oil-based mud, water-based mud. We take completion fluids and flowback water that's entrained in sand from flowback jobs and completions. And we take tank bottoms and produced water from production of oil and gas wells. We also take remediated, you know, we also help remediate old sites that, you know, that need to be cleaned up if there's an oil spill or, or something like that or if someone has an incident out on the road, we take contaminated soils and process all that material. So we're not really, there are a lot of companies out there that focus on primarily on oil field wastewater, you know, produced water companies and water midstream companies. That's not us. Our bread and butter is really the dirtier waste stream. So spent drilling fluids, the drill cuttings, tank bottoms, contaminated soils, that's where milestone really focuses. Now, now when you say you take these wastes, the drilling fluids and the tank bottoms and the completion fluids and all that sort of thing. You have a facility or you have more than one facility or you have disposal wells or what are we talking about here? Land farm or? We have a network of facilities in the Permian Basin and the Eagle and all in the state of Texas right now. We're about to start making some moves in New Mexico as well. We have a, a network of facilities in the Permian and in the Eagleford, kind of all across the state of Texas. A total of nine facilities. Seven of those facilities are slurry injection sites. So we operate facilities that can take all of the really dirty liquid waste streams. So that's spent drilling fluids, those tank bottoms, and, and water as well. And we can we process all those materials. We blend them. You know, remove some solids that we can't economically inject. We sit on top of very special geology that is both really receptive to 
controlling dirtier wastes and also protected, meaning there's multiple confining layers above and below those injection zones to make sure that those wastes stay uh, well away from ever contaminating usable groundwater. So we take all those wastes and we re-inject them. And we also recently added two oil field waste landfills to our network, both in the Permian Basin, one on the western side in the northern Delaware, and one on the eastern side in the, in the central Midland Basin to be able to handle more dry solids like the contaminated soils and the drill cuttings. So we've got a network of facilities across across the state that manage the soils. Okay, so then in that landfill, I mean, what have you got? I mean, you just got acres and acres of contaminated soil. What's the deal with that? Well, so our customers have the option, and it is still compliant and legal in the state of Texas and in Oklahoma and some other states across the U.S., and several parts around the world as well, it is still legal and compliant to be able to take those wastes and either leave them as you're drilling a well, producing oil and gas wells, it's legal to take to leave these wastes in a reserve pit, which is a, a pit that's dug behind an oil and gas well, which may or may not be lined, and if it is lined, it's, it's, it's lined poorly, and leave that material on site, just bury it at the drilling site, or spread it on branch land or the farmland that's behind the drilling location in a process called land farming or land application. So what we're trying to do with our, at our facilities, we give our, our customers an option to not do that. Even though it's compliant with the rules in the state of Texas, it's still also risky. It's you know, those, those on-site methods of disposal are very likely to contaminate soil. You just hope that you spread it thin enough that it doesn't contaminate it too much. It's also quite likely to contaminate groundwater as you get rainfall falling on that ranch land and that those those contaminants can percolate down into groundwater. And so we offer our customers an option to not do that. So you know first, you know, if you're if you are talking about the fluids going to our slurry injection sites, that material is kept, it is never touching the ground if it comes to one of our facilities. And it's injected, it's processed in a protected way above ground and then within hours it's injected into formations that are over a mile deep and far, far away from usable groundwater. If you think about you know, what that geological strata looks like, generally usable groundwater is within the first few hundred feet of the surface. So you know, if a farmer drills a water well on his property, it might be one, two, three, four hundred feet deep. And where we're injecting this material is more like 7,000 feet deep. Yeah, and let me just interrupt you right there. Of course, most people listening to this are going to know this already, but it's a common misconception. And I really wanted to pick up on what you talked about, the water table and all that sort of thing. All of the commissions are, that's one of the things they are responsible for when they issue a drilling permit. They know about these water table levels and everything. And that's why they require anybody who drills a well to set what's called surface casing to do exactly what you're talking about and that's to protect groundwater and so all these stories that you hear from you know some of those silly documentaries they made you know where people were supposedly turning on water and you know part of the oil well was coming out of it that just doesn't happen yeah that's right i mean i think that's a really important thing to say because you know a lot of these documentaries are about fracking and implying that you know the process of fracking was getting sitting oil and gas straight into groundwater tables, that really doesn't happen like what they end up on these documentaries. And fracking itself happens 10,000 feet down, right? 
you inject these things into your injection wells. But now I think I interrupted you. I think you were about to answer this question back to the landfill part. This is where you actually do put it on the ground, right? Yeah. Well, it's not directly on the ground. We have highly engineered landfills that have multiple layers of liners that protect them from the ground. So first of all, the material that goes into the landfill already has to be dry. But then that landfill is going to have multiple layers of liner, including at the very bottom, a clay or a geosynthetic clay liner, and at the top with multiple layers of really high thickness, high-density polyethylene. There are leachate collection layers, where basically if any liquids end up in the bottom of the landfill, we, we remove it and pump it out. There are leak detection layers. And so you've got this sandwich of engineered liner systems that go underneath these landfills to make sure that that waste is ultimately protected from the soils. Plus we end up, we also install monitoring wells around these landfills to ensure that, to to continually test the groundwater and ensure that nothing from that landfill is making its way down into groundwater and contaminating. So it's it's a very protected and highly engineered process to make sure that just like in a municipal landfill, or in a waste landfill, they have to be designed in, in a way to make sure that the, the soil and the groundwater are protected. It's very different from landfills that were built in the 60s and 70s. That the standards for landfill construction today are much, much higher and very protective to make sure that that, that, that material is going to be safe for a very, very long time. And because they're so highly engineered like that, I mean, that's definitely an advantage over what you were talking about, just burying it on site or spreading it out across a farmer's field or whatever, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you're, if you're burying it on site or you're spreading it across a farmer's field, you've got none of that protection. And even if you, even if a company is putting in a liner in their reserve pit, generally that liner is just a little bit thicker than a hefty bag. If you're moving heavy equipment, like an excavator or a dozer or a truck in and around those areas and trying to remediate them, clean them up. And uh, you have vacuum trucks that are you know, taking fluids out of them. You know, the ability to puncture the little liners that are on site in these reserve pits is really easy to do and it's quite common. So you know, it's just a completely different level of protection when you send the material to the landfill. A, a newly engineered landfill that's been built you know, within the last 10 years. Right. Okay. Now, a couple of other things about that. Of course, one of the big issues these days as we look toward renewables and we talk about, you know, quote unquote, carbon footprint and that sort of thing, there's some, what do you call them, carbon trade-offs or carbon, there's some advantages to your procedure in that area, right? Yeah, that's right. And so what our customers have really started to care about a lot more in the last year as oil and gas companies have started making these net zero commitments, right? Oil and gas companies are trying to reduce and eliminate their scope one emissions. Some companies are going as far as to commit to trying to be net zero, even with scopes two and three, to try to reduce their greenhouse gas footprints. And, And a lot of these companies have made commitments to be net zero by 2050 without necessarily a very clear path on how they're going to get there. And so a lot of innovation is going to be required in our, our industry to reduce the carbon footprint of oil and gas production. And one unique benefit of our process is that since we're taking hydrocarbon-rich waste, right, we're taking, again, oil-based muds, tank bottoms, this stuff is really oily. Even the water-based mud that they're drilling with quite often gets mixed up with um, and has a pretty significant hydrocarbon content by the time it gets to us. 
So we're taking all this hydrocarbon-rich waste. This is you know, hydrocarbons that are not economically recoverable and recyclable. We're taking these hydrocarbon-rich waste and we're putting them back down into the earth into sequest into secure geologic formations and permanently sequestering that carbon away from the environment. So we are, in effect, sequestering carbon just through better practices around oil field waste management. So, and that's a process that is unique to us. And Milestone has patents around our, our own process, and we also have a patent around carbon sequestration through the, through the management of energy waste utilizing our process. But we can actually go to our customers now, at which, which really no other company in our market can, and we can show them the data. And we can say, you know, look, as a, as a company, by the way, we just produced and published our first sustainability report about a month ago, well, which is on our website, which is milestone-es.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. And so in that sustainability report, we showed that Milestone in 2020 sequestered almost 280,000 metric tons of CO2 just through doing what we do, just through injection of oil field waste streams and managing these waste streams through our network. In 2021, I think that number is going to be closer to four to 500,000 metric tons of CO2 equivalent, just because the market has started to recover and volumes have been higher. So you know, we're already sequestering, you know, call it, you know, close to half a million tons of CO2 equivalent for our customers every year without, you know, our customers really having to ask us to do that. So we're just now starting to report that, not just from a, you know, reporting the macro numbers from a sustainability report. We've also started going to our customers and saying, look, here's how much carbon we sequestered for you over the last year. We can report that data to our customers, showing them this is how much carbon we sequestered by well, by month, by lease, however they want to see it. We can report that information to them. That, that information is all third-party validated. We've got engineering firms that have validated the carbon sequestration elements of our process. And we've got our auditors working on the testing and reviewing the reports that we send to our customers. So now our customers can have confidence that in those numbers and, and effectively roll that in to their own sustainability reports and their own reports around carbon footprints. And so as these emissions targets have started to move their way down through the organizations from the board and strategic level, and they resulting partially from pressure they're getting from their investors, and that's starting to percolate down in these organizations to that drilling manager level and, and getting out into the field. Our customers have been, have been looking for ways to reduce their carbon footprint. And, and the nice thing is Milestone can offer that to them at really no incremental cost because they've got to do something with that waste. And whether you are, and we've done all of this in these analyses and can show our customers this, whether you're leaving your waste on site, that involves some expense as well because you've got to you know, pay the landowner for more surface damages. You've got to dig that reserve pit. You've got to close that reserve pit. Or whether you're sending waste to one of Milestone's competitors or you're sending to Milestone, really those services are priced. The cost is pretty much the same no matter what you do with the waste, whether you're leaving it on site, whether you're sending it to Milestone or one of our competitors. There's really no incremental cost involved in sending that waste off-site anymore. And that's partially because Milestone and our competitors as well have spent hundreds of millions of dollars over the past decade building infrastructure and making sure that in the Permian and the Eagleford in particular, where we are active, that there is a facility that can professionally manage this waste in the right way 
within 30 minutes of that rig. So it's no longer an issue where you've got to put that stuff on a truck and drive two hours each way to get to a disposal facility. Yeah, that was always a problem before. Right. And so we've proactively and kind of on spec gone out and built this network and this infrastructure throughout these basins to make sure that we're close by and we're convenient and we can turn around those trucks quickly, right? And that's what our guys are doing out in the field. They're managing these waste streams. They're turning around those trucks quickly. They're washing out those trucks so they can go pick up a new load and come back and, and keep our customers served well. So now our customers can really reduce their carbon footprint just by managing their oil field waste better. And that's where Milestone comes in. And for those of you who've listened to this podcast, I'm sure this has been very valuable information, as I said, and as we always do with our guests on the show, put their LinkedIn contact information in the show notes, also the website so that anybody can go and look at that sustainability report. Again, Gabriel, I appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been very interesting and very informative. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And again, remind you, this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. And again, please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our website, which you can find in the show notes and register for our monthly giveaway. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and that contact info you can find in the show notes. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based and international partner for measurement instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Please leave us a review on iTunes, like us on LinkedIn, and use all of your social networking to tell your friends about us. And now here's Savannah. We'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAEP, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.